Welcome to Unsubscribed. I'm your host, Barbara Seaman, and this is a show for women that want to let go of their childhood conditioning and create for themselves an authentic life. We are here to discuss all things about motherhood, raising children, being in your 40s, and most importantly, unsubscribing. We are here to support each other, love each other, and share information for each other. So if you like the show, please subscribe. This way, you'll never miss an episode. And also, feel free to share it anywhere online so your friends and family can listen to it too. We're all in this together, ladies. Let's do this. And one more thing before we begin today. Please keep in mind that I am not a journalist or a professional interviewer. I am just a curious girl that's chatting with some really interesting women, and I am bringing our conversation to you, even if it's messy. So with that being said, I really hope you enjoy today's show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Unsubscribed. Today, we have joining us Jill McLennan, who is a death doula. And she is here to help us understand the end-of-life process and how a death doula can assist you and your family with this whole end-of-life and grieving process. So, Jill, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. And please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and whatever it is you'd like us to know. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, Again, my name is Jill. So I am actually a career changer because I know a lot of people are probably thinking, well, what is a death doula anyway? And I kind of had thought the same thing when I first heard of it in about 2019. I had come from food service. I have worked in food service since I was a teenager. And I basically moved all over the country working in hotels and restaurants and all types of different stuff. And then when my husband and I were living in California, we got married, my grandmother was getting ready to turn 90. And we were looking into opening up our own bakery. That was kind of our dream of what we really wanted to do. And so she said, well, why don't you come back to New Jersey and you can move in with me and then you can open your bakery and you won't have to worry about paying rent because it keeps me in my house And it'll also help you. So that's what we did. And really almost, I think, two weeks after we moved back, she got diagnosed with cancer. So it was really right at the beginning of our journey of living with her. And the next four years, I spent a lot of my time running a business, but then also watching my grandmother's disease progress and watching as she aged even more, just, you know, the whole experience of aging and nearing the end of life. I'm really glad that I had the opportunity. I'm very grateful for the time that I had with her. But I also was really unprepared because I didn't know the realities of what it looks like to be a caregiver for somebody that's aging and also dealing with cancer. And at the last couple weeks of her life, when hospice came in, they were amazing. I really could not have gotten through the experience without them. And even at that point, I had said to my husband, I really think maybe I would want to 
become a hospice nurse. And he was very supportive. He was like, all right, do whatever you want. But at that point, we had the business still. We had a six-month-old baby. Life just was kind of not in a place where going back to school to start all over again would have really made much sense. And when I heard of a death doula in 2019, it really felt like something in me just kind of lit up. And I was like, oh, that's it. That's what I want to do. And I did my training and became a death doula. And so now I support people and their loved ones as they are navigating the end of life process. And it's really not just for people that are sick. You know, that's one of the big misconceptions. I think a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, when would I call you? Would I call you when somebody is actually dying? I mean, yes, somebody can call me if your loved one is dying and you're thinking, I just really need some help right now. You can definitely call a death doula. But really, talking with a death doula early in the process is the best way to benefit from the services that we offer. I tell people that are my age, you know, 45 years old, you need to really think about what you want at the end of life. You need to have the conversation with your family members. I know it can be difficult. That's part of what death doulas do is help you get clear on what you want, help you to have that conversation so that when it is time to face something, whether it's an accident or an illness or just aging, you're more prepared because you've already thought about it. You've already started these conversations. But it's not just the support of, again, like the actual death and dying. I have found for me that when I really thought about what I wanted for the end of life, faced some of my fears, thought about some of my regrets and my shame from, you know, decisions that I made in the past and kind of worked through those things, things that people tend to do when they're at the end of life. But I did it earlier because I really think about death and dying so much now, the more that I actually live my life better. And so it doesn't matter how much time you have left, we can all really benefit from doing this work and actually live our life in a way that will lead to less regrets when we're actually on our deathbed. And that will lead us to actually look back at our life and think, you know what, I was fully present. I enjoyed my life. I enjoyed my time with my friends and my family, not looking back and thinking, well, I wish I could just do this all over again, because I wasted so much time. Wow, that is absolutely fascinating. So you had mentioned earlier you completed some training. How does one actually train to be a death doula? Is there like an education process you go through and then like a hands-on sort of, you know, you have to go in and be with another, like shadow another death doula to learn or like how, what is the training process? Right now in the United States, at least, the training process is not regulated by any government agency or anything like that. It's not It's not that it's not regulated necessarily in that we do have groups that do the training. All of the trainings really focus on making sure that people understand the realities of death and dying, know the best way to support loved ones. But 
I did two different trainings, actually. I did one that was an online college course, and then I did a mentorship with a death doula who's actually out in California. At that point, even a couple years ago, I couldn't even really find death doulas locally to me. I'm starting to see more and more of them. But when I started looking a few years ago, I just connected with this woman online and she mentored me virtually and really was able to teach me everything that she knew, answer all of the questions that I had. A lot of the trainings do require that you have a certain number of hours, whether it's working under a death doula or you know, working with hospice or a palliative care team somewhere to really get that hands-on kind of um, experiencing the realities. Because again, most of us haven't actually experienced it. Or if we did, it's really only with maybe one or two people in our lives. And everybody's aging and end of life is going to be different. And so most of them do require that you take some type of like a mentorship or you know, shadowing a death doula. But really right now, there's no strict guidelines as to what you would need to call yourself a death doula. It will probably change because like a lot of things that the more people are doing these trainings, the more people that are going out and working as death doulas, the more that it will be required that you have certain things. But right now you can really look online and find a doula or find a training that, you know, fits your financial needs, also fits, you know, what it is you're looking for. Because all doulas really do things a little bit differently. I do work with my uh, families, right? So caregivers, and I work with grief. Not all doulas do. Some only work with the people that are actively dying. Uh, some people only work with grief. They've kind of gone down that like that path of focusing on after the death. So it depends on what people are interested in doing. And some people do the training not even to make a business out of it. I am doing this as my business now, but some death doulas do the training to just help care for somebody that they know or maybe volunteer in their community. There's probably people that are listening that are saying to themselves, that's actually what I already do. Anytime anybody I know is facing the end of life with a loved one, they call me. There's just people that that's kind of the work that they get pulled into naturally. And so maybe they would want to do a training just to make it into a business, or maybe they would want to do a training just to get a little bit more skills, but not actually try to make money off of it. Because to be honest, right now, it's not paying my bills. I hope that in the future it will. I believe that in the future it will. But right now, it's been a lot of work over the last, you know, three, almost four years of just building awareness and letting people know that death doulas exist, that this is what we do, that I am here personally doing this work. Um, and so I have had some paying clients, but honestly, most of the work that I've done has been for free. And it's okay, I don't mind. But if anybody's listening and they think, oh, you know, I want to be a death doula and I'm going to you know, do my training and I'm going to quit my job and make this a living, you, we might not be there yet. 
give it a couple more years before you go that far, but definitely do the training and look into it if it's something that you feel called to do. Yeah. So being a death doula, it sounds to me like it's very much similar with coaching where you, you know, you are working with your clients in whatever their individual and customized needs are. And as a coach myself, I feel like people just aren't valuing it yet. Mm-hmm. You know, like people are just used to having to like stomach and work through and like get through the thing all on their own. And they don't seek out assistance from anyone. Like it's just not in our culture when we are in a time of need to ask for help. People just don't ask for help yet. But I do feel like there is a an upward trend where there are more people seeking helpful services like coaches and counselors and birth doulas and death doulas and and other similar type services. So what would you say is the best way for someone to decide if they need your assistance or not? Like are there some families that would not be, you know, like helpful or need your assistance or would you recommend everyone could basically use a death doula? Really, at this point, I would say probably everybody could use a death doula. In so many cases, we have not experienced the realities of aging and end of life. And more and more of us, especially in the United States, are going to be faced with the challenges of caring for our elderly loved ones. And right now in the United States, there's not enough support. Most of us can't afford to put our loved ones into any type of assisted living. We're not going to be able to afford to hire full-time caregivers. We are going to need to step into these roles ourselves, And It is very similar to coaching where I actually will sometimes say to people, I'm an end of life coach because I think people understand life coaching a little bit more than they do doulas in general. Um, And one day when I was talking to my husband and I was explaining what I do, he was like, oh, you kind of sound like a life coach. And I was like, oh, I guess I kind of am, but on the end of life spectrum. Um, And so really working with a doula can just help you be better prepared for what you're going to need to navigate. And so again, really starting early is not a bad thing, but most of us really could use the support of a death doula. But especially if you or a loved one gets diagnosed with a terminal illness, Even if it's something where you're going to pursue treatment or your loved one is going to pursue treatment, understanding the realities of what some of these treatments will do to your life, knowing what questions to ask doctors, because that's one thing that I learned. At first, I had some imposter syndrome coming from food service, and then I realized that in some ways it actually was good coming from completely outside of the medical care system into this type of work, because some things were very surprising to me. And I learned to ask a lot of questions that other people that come from, you know, maybe nursing or something else wouldn't ask, because that's just part of their reality. And that's one of the biggest things that my mom has actually said is, I wish we wouldn't have 
made grandmom go through chemo and radiation and surgeries like we did at 90 years old. And I said, well, we didn't know better. We didn't know to ask questions of the doctor of what radiation would do to a 92-year-old woman. You know, at that point, I did not know better. And so now I do. And now I know what questions to ask to help people make informed decisions on the type of care that they want to have moving forward. And it's really important that we go into these situations with the information that will help us to make better decisions and that will lead us to the type of care and to the type of end of life experience that we want. Is it going to be perfect? No, of course not. I mean, again, it's like birth doulas. You know, I had a birth plan for both of my children. Did it go as planned? No, of course it didn't. But it was still better than if I would have gone into it with no plan at all and been scared and overwhelmed and confused. And unfortunately, that's the way that most people are ending up as they or their loved ones, you know, navigate aging and end of life and illnesses, they're scared, they're overwhelmed, and they're confused. And death doulas can really help people just understand what's happening and be able to not feel as overwhelmed and confused. Yeah, I feel like I definitely could have, like my entire family could have benefited from the services of a death doula when my father was going through his end of life, which happened very quickly. I feel like he had been having like some belly pains in, I want to say like August maybe of 2020. And he was coming to my son's, you know, varsity football games and he just had this like kind of yellow green tint to his skin and and he wasn't talking much. I knew he just didn't feel well. Mm -hmm. And he was going to doctors and he was searching out answers and nobody could find anything wrong with him, but he was having these belly pains and going to the bathroom a lot. And like, he just knew things were not right. And he went to Florida and uh, they ended up coming back early then in the spring. And by May he had passed away. So it happened very quickly for our family of him getting sick, getting a cancer diagnosis of this small intestine, and then him, you know, like basically declining right in front of our eyes to the point of where, you know, my parents didn't even get to have their 50th wedding anniversary party because their anniversary was in June. So it was just like our family kind of went through this warp speed process and none of us knew how to navigate any of it. None of us are in the medical field. We didn't know the type of questions to answer. We didn't, or to ask, we didn't know like how to ask for different hospice care, like the type of bed he could have had. And like, just, there's so many questions that are swirling around in my mind um, about the whole process we went through was very uncomfortable And our family dynamics were a little bit difficult at the time anyway. And then this all just compounded it, Um, all of us trying to do our best to get along for the sake of dad (laughs) and mom. And in the end, our family has just fallen apart, you know, um, since dad passed away. And so I feel like your services would have been very helpful. So 
just now having given you that little bit of a background on my family and the whole dying process of of my dad then in May of 2021, how could you have helped my family? Like what would have been like the steps, you know, you like a protocol maybe you would have helped and taken us through from him getting diagnosis, you know, or maybe even starting to feel just the belly pains in August, you know, like from August to May, what would you have done to help our family? Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about your experience. And unfortunately, that's the more common scenario that I hear with families like falling apart and just, you know, it being a really uncomfortable situation. Most people probably wouldn't call a death doula if they were just having stomach pains. But that's where, again, if I was working with a family earlier and saying, you know, one of the things that they'll say is go through your advanced healthcare directives at milestones, you know, so whether it's milestone birthdays or having children or maybe children, you know, graduating, moving out of the house, things like that, reassess your end of life care plans. And so if I was working with a family and then they said to me, you know, dad's really not feeling good and he's not getting any answers. That's when I would, you know, get on the phone and say, okay, let's talk to these different people. Let's ask these different questions. You know, if you're not getting the answers you want, let's go to different places. Um, If it was somebody local to me, I would go to doctor's appointments. You know, I don't have any problem showing up and advocating for my clients to get the answers that they need. Because even though I'm close with my clients over time, it's still not like it's my mother or my father or my husband where I'm going to be emotionally invested in whatever the outcome is. And so it can be easier sometimes for a death doula to ask the questions that need to be asked because we're not as emotionally invested. We just really want to get the answers that need to be found out. And then even from there, it really is common where children of somebody that is going through a diagnosis and going through end of life, a lot of drama gets stirred up. Because, I mean, if we're going to be honest, none of us have families that we could really be like, no, our family's wonderful. Everybody gets along great. We all really love each other. We don't have any issues. I mean, all families really have some issues. And that's okay, right? That's just part of being a human, navigating our human experience with other people. But when we're facing the stress of somebody that we love dying, when we're facing the unfinished business, the unsaid, you know, things that we wanted to tell somebody, the conversations that we never had time to have. And then you have your sibling trying to say, well, you're not doing this right. And this isn't happening right. And everybody's emotions are getting really higher than they would normally be. It can let, it can really lead to arguments and things being said that you can't take back. It can lead to really hurt feelings. And one of the things that I actually really love doing as a death doula 
is helping to navigate these conversations between family members so that we really leave some of the childhood wounding out of the situation and focus on what we really need to focus on right now. And I did have a client once that, you know, after our call, they basically had done nothing but really vent about what was going on with their sibling in regards to care for their mother. And at the end, they said, I'm so sorry, I just did nothing but complain. And I said, that's what I'm here for. So you can get it out and you can tell me so that tomorrow when you're taking care of mom and your sibling comes in, you feel better. You're better able to approach the situation because you were able to get out to me and not taking it out on your sister. And it's understandable that these things happen, but it doesn't have to be that way. And unfortunately, I went through a similar experience where after my grandmother died, my brother and, or I'm sorry, my father and his brothers didn't even speak to each other. A lot of us are not talking to each other. And it's sad. You know, I think back to, you know, I have two children and I think to myself, you know, my grandmother would be heartbroken if she knew what happened at the end of her life and after she died. And I think about my children and I'm like, I really would be heartbroken if they fought to the point where they no longer spoke to each other after I died. And again, it doesn't have to be that way. And that's where some death doulas, again, not all of us, but I do like the work of coming in and helping families navigate so that it can be a little bit easier on the whole family. And then even you mentioned with hospice, most people don't have an understanding of hospice. They think, oh, well, we call hospice right at the end, right at the last couple of days. Or even worse, I hear, oh, well, hospice comes in and they give morphine and it, they kill your person that you're, you know, that you love. And I'm like, well, no, they really don't. I promise <laughs> they don't kill anybody. Um, it's just that most of us don't know when to ask for hospice. The doctors don't recommend calling in hospice when they should, which again was a surprise to me. It's very frustrating. And so I would have been able to really recommend hospice probably earlier than it was ever even offered. I know the services that hospice offers people. So different medical equipment that again, we don't always think to ask for and different, um, there's social workers, there's nurses, there's chaplains, there's a wide variety of people that can come out through hospice. But also one of the things that, again, I didn't know this until I was told my grandmother was coming home on hospice. I thought, oh, okay, great. Somebody's going to be there to help me take care of her. And that's not really how it works. Hospice came out maybe three hours a week between the nurses and the aide that came out to help me bathe her. But I was there as the main caregiver. That was fully my responsibility with no understanding of what that was really going to look like. I thought it was going to be like it is in movies, which was going to be grandma was going to sleep a lot. I didn't 
know that she was going to be up in the middle of the night telling me people were visiting her that were from her childhood and not knowing who I was and things that were so confusing and so overwhelming to me. And that's part of what I do as well as a death doula. I give my clients the opportunity to have me be on call so that if you're up at two o'clock in the morning and you're like, I don't know what's happening. They don't recognize me. Maybe they're having a lot of pain. I don't know what to do. I can talk people through it so that you're not alone. And you get to understand better that what is happening is probably totally natural at the end of life. We just don't see it. And so we don't know that which leads to the stress and the anxiety, which then gets taken out on our family members because we're tired and we're exhausted. And the brother comes in and starts criticizing everything that we're doing. And at that point, we're tired and we're exhausted. And so who are we going to take it out on? And it just helps to ease all of that stress and that anxiety for the family so that really you could be there with dad and really experiencing your time together and not focusing on some things that really aren't important, but we're just so tired and overwhelmed that we don't understand that really if we could ease the tension in that area, then we can show up and really just be with our person for the last couple of days or weeks or months of their life. Yeah, thank you for that explanation of everything, because I feel like that is cookie cutter what happened to us. You know, like dad being a Vietnam veteran, he was going to the VA, and I feel like the VA had very limited services for him. And if I had had, you know, a death doula working with our family, someone could have recommended like, hey, maybe you should seek out (laughs) advice or second opinions or whatever from someone else instead of just always taking, you know, whatever the VA said and that that, that's it. That's all you get. That's, you know, this is the way it's going to be. And then when it came to the hospice, again, also, we were very unprepared. Um, We, we in a way believed, like you had said, it's what you see in the movies. There's a nurse there 24 seven to help take care of dad. And that was not it. Like the nurse kind of just popped in for like an hour here or there, um, you know, once or twice a day. And the majority of the caregiving fell on, of course, my mother um, and the rest of us that were around. And I have a a nurse that, uh, an aunt who is um, a wound care nurse. And so she helped out too once she flew into the state to come and visit. And it was just like really stressful, all of us having no idea what we were doing, you know, and like you had mentioned earlier, the childhood wounds getting stirred up, the family drama getting stirred up. We're all trapped in this tiny little house, you know, kind of holding vigil for dad who's on a hospice bed in the living room. Like it just, it was a mess of a situation. And yeah, like you had mentioned a lot of families fall apart. That's exactly what happened. I felt like dad kind of kept our family together. He kind of kept my brother in check when he got off on his like narcissistic and gaslighting tangents. And now with dad not being around, there's no one to keep brother in check. And so I really don't talk to my brother at all. Um, and my sisters and I, of course, are very close, but one lives in a different state. And so I don't get to see her often, 
But um, there's also a little tension with my mother because I feel like she maybe doesn't understand what me and my sisters had gone through our entire lives. And so when dad was going through the hospice and then, you know, we all watched him take his last breath, it was just like everything bubbled to the surface and I couldn't take it anymore. You know, and so I feel like having <laughs> having you there would have been a huge help. Like, it sounds like you do a lot of mediation. Like maybe even, do you do mediation with families after the loved one has passed away, like after the funeral, you know, like kind of get back together with everyone weeks or months later or something and like help the family heal? Is that one of your services? Yes, that is part of the grief work that I do with my clients. I actually did have a woman that I had not worked with. We just knew each other on Facebook that after her mother died, she actually called me because she was like, I can't go to the funeral. I'm going to end up losing my mind on my siblings. I don't know what to do. And so that was just part of our session. You know, the one session that we did have was just preparing her for going to the funeral and having to face her siblings that were all not doing well with mom's passing. And I haven't worked with a group after anybody's death, but I definitely could because once we have a little bit of time in between, you know, I don't want to say the excitement in a good way, but the excitement around somebody's passing, there's just so much going on. And there's, again, there's a lot of moving parts and then there's the funeral and then there's all these things. And then once that kind of calms down, then that could be a good time to really work with a family and try to work through some of the grief and the pain and the frustration. And I will sit vigil with family members during somebody's active death if they would like me to. And this way, again, I could be the person that could be there when somebody's like, my brother is driving me crazy. I'm going to lose my mind. I could be like, okay, let's go sit outside and we can talk so that this way it is able to come out. I'm a firm believer in that when we're having those feelings, when we're overwhelmed by emotion, holding it in is really not ideal. Most of us though, we either hold it in or we hold it in as long as we can and then it explodes out because we just can't physically hold it anymore. And so ideally, we want to work with that energy in a healthy manner. And that's why even for me, part of what I do with my clients, if they want to, not everybody wants to, um, but I really like to do a holistic style of care. I'm a big believer in meditation or prayer, you know, whatever somebody likes, um, but I'll do guided meditations. I like to teach people about using movement to release energy, incorporating rituals. Even you mentioned, you know, dad's hospital bed just being like plopped in the middle of the living room. That's what they do. You know, they're going to bring the equipment in, they drop it wherever they tell, you know, wherever you want them to drop it, but then that's it. And so as an end-of-life doula or a death doula, one of the things that I like to do is let's create a ritual space. Let's 
make it as beautiful as we can so that this way, when we're all in the space together, the lighting, the sounds, you know, even the smells, bringing things into the space, pictures or mementos or just things that will make the space more comforting, even if it's in a hospital. You know, it might not be in somebody's house. It might be that you're in a hospital or in assisted living with somebody, but there's things that we can do to make that space calmer and more peaceful, which will help with the overall energy of the room, which will help with everybody's mood. And so there is a lot of different ways to kind of ease some of that stress and that anxiety. Um, But really, it's never too late to heal some of the wounding that happens around somebody's death. It's not always going to be easy, and it doesn't mean that everybody in the family is going to want to do it. we can still do that work on our own. I mean, for me, when my grandmother died, my half brother said something to me that I will never get over. But at the same time, I was able to heal around it in the sense of that I really tried to fully understand that he was losing his grandmother And he was just saying something that was probably in his heart all along. And it's okay. And so now at least we can be in the same space together. Will I ever be close with him? No. But I also feel like when we are in the same room together, when we're having a conversation, I don't have that pain and that anger and that hostility that I had in that moment. But that was me healing it on my own. And so we can heal those things so that at least we can be in the same place with somebody. But ideally, if siblings would want to work through some of that grief, I could really help people even as a group But even individually, you can still heal around that on your own. It's just not easy. But a lot of things in life aren't easy, right? It's okay for it not to be easy. It can still be worth taking the time and the effort to do it. Yeah, I think that with our family situation, it would definitely have to be an individual healing because I'm not quite sure we are ready to get back together for any sort of group healing because there's there's just a lot of information that has come out um, since dad passed away. Things that were kind of kept quiet, hush, hush, you know, um, things that people don't talk about because we wanted to always look like the good, perfect family, you know, that whole thing. And then it was like after, after dad died and everything just erupted, well, all this information started coming out. And that's kind of where I had done some research and listened to some podcasts um, from like actual psychiatrists that study narcissistic personality disorders and stuff. And, and like, truly, I do feel like that has afflicted our family. And um, I don't know if there's any way to heal with a narcissistic, like manipulating, gaslighting personality. I just don't think that they are capable of that. And so um, 
how would you recommend someone like me who believes there is a narcissistic personality in the family that, you know, I would have to heal on my own without that person? How does one do that? Because there's still quite a bit of anger and resentment and hurt feelings. And of course, we're not speaking and, and all of that. So how does one heal? How, what are the steps you would take someone like me through when the other person is not involved? The first thing for me is I do believe that it is 100% okay to cut people out of your life with no shame, no guilt, no regret. Doesn't matter if you were born from the same parents or even if they were your parents. If somebody is causing, if their behavior is causing you more pain and suffering than anything else, giving yourself permission to be like, it's okay to never speak to them ever again is always the first step for me because I know society in a lot of cases, there's a lot of guilting around, but that's your brother or that's your parent. Like you can't, you know, what is it like the, you know, blood is thicker than water kind of thing. All right, fine, whatever. I don't care if they're not adding to my life, then I'm not going to feel any regret of cutting them out of my life. And so really giving yourself the permission first off is sometimes the hardest part. Forgiving yourself for any part that you played in it. Oftentimes when we interact with people that are narcissistic, we end up behaving in ways that we're not proud of ourselves. And then there's, again, that guilt and that shame of, well, I did this thing or I said that thing. And really, we have to forgive ourselves for things that we have done that maybe hurt us and hurt other people. If there was anything that you feel in your heart that you need to apologize for, even if you don't ever give anything to him as far as an apology, doing a ritual around, you know, maybe writing a letter. I like to write letters and burn them. I always feel like that's kind of helpful. Um, really saying what we want to say. And then in some cases, even writing the letter back to you that you wish you could get back from them. Because even if it's not them actually saying it, sometimes being able to write out what we needed from the other person and reading it again to ourselves, and then again, maybe even burning that at the end of it just to like release it can really help us to heal, to feel like we got the apology that we needed. And when I think of a situation that causes that physical sensation of anger in my body. You know, when they say like your blood boils, I there's a reason why they say that. I could feel that heat like rising up. It like starts in my torso and then like spreads into my arms and my face and my neck. And I just feel like my entire body gets hot and tingly and just overwhelmed by all of that. That's one of the times when I 
have people beforehand think about ways that they can express that energy when it happens. And so for some people that could be, all right, I need to go out and go for a walk or go for a jog because I need to move my body. For some people, it may be, you know, doing something that's slower and calmer. Maybe that would be, okay, I need to, you know, get out a yoga mat and just lay on the floor and stretch and move my body. But we need to move the energy out because when we feel that anger, when we feel that resentment, we're really good at shoving it down because that's what we've been taught to do but it needs to move through our body and breathing exercises, uh, vocalizing. So when we feel that need, like I just need to scream, but we can't because we're trying to be polite and restrained and not scare our neighbors. Um, there can be other ways to do it, you know, put on music and sing as loud as you can. Um, chanting, again, like praying, just getting that um, energy out through your vocal cords. That's why in a lot of, you know, like Hinduism, Buddhism, they chant and they chant sounds more than the actual words because it's the vibration in the body that helps to release things. Sometimes when I feel anger and frustration, if I'm at that point where now I've moved my body a little bit, so I was able to really move out that intense energy, then I'll sit down and I'll close my eyes and I do a visualization where I picture, because again, I'll feel it in different parts of my body. So I'll try to really pinpoint where am I feeling it? Is it my stomach? Is it my chest? Is it my throat? Like, where am I feeling this anger, this frustration, this anxiety? And then I picture it like smoke or a ball of light, something that I can really visualize. And when it's anger and frustration, I'll see it almost as like red and fiery and like prickly and just like not pleasant. And then I just picture myself exhaling that out. So every time I take a deep breath, you know, I fill my lungs up. And then as I exhale out, I picture myself exhaling out all of that bad energy. And then if you really want to get into the tricky parts of healing and forgiving somebody, there is a Buddhist meditation practice. Um, it's called Tonglen. It's one of my favorite practices that I've ever learned. And I practice this with um, my father's family, with my stepmother, with my father, and with my brother. When I got to the point where I was like, all right, I really need to let go of this anger and this frustration because it's not serving me. And you really just picture the person in front of you. You see them as just another human that is hurting and in pain and just wants the same thing that all of us want. We want happiness. We want joy. We want peace. And you practice inhaling and actually taking their pain from them. 
and exhaling out love and joy and happiness back to them. And it can really be healing, but it can also be difficult because you're really doing something that is counterintuitive when you're angry with somebody, which is we want to make them hurt the way that they're making us hurt. But I think that's why it is so powerful and why it can be such a great practice because it in some ways forces us to see the humanity in them. And sometimes I'll try to picture people as like the little children that they were, because sometimes it's easier to be more patient with a child than it is with a full grown adult. And all of those little things, again, it's like, you know, I just kind of gave a whole string of different practices It's not something that would happen overnight, but with time and with practice, you do it for yourself, not for them. Again, you may still never speak to your brother ever again, and that is okay. But the healing is really more for you so that you can let go of that pain and really take back control because that's the thing, especially with narcissists, it's you know, a lot of it's a control thing. They want the power. They want the control over somebody else. And unfortunately, when we're stuck in that pain and that suffering, they still have control over us. And we need to put some space in between that. But so those are just a couple of things, which, you know, off the top of my head, but I mean, there's a lot of practices that can really help. And that's why I do like working with people one-on-one because I can find what works best for them because not everything is going to work for everybody. You know, we're all individuals. So that's kind of my, my quick, (laughs) quick ish thoughts on it. I feel like I could have definitely used this list of energy moving practices because in that One hour from after we watched him take his last breath until the hospice nurse came to officially call the time of death, you know, and the funeral home came to retrieve his body and cover him with a flag and all of that. That one hour has to be the worst hour I have ever experienced in my life. And I had a child via C-section without anesthesia. And I'm telling you that one hour when my father passed away before his body left the house was the worst time of my life. And I would have loved to have done some of these practices that you just described. And I should have known this. I'm a yoga instructor. I do meditation. I'm a life coach. Like I should have known these things. I should have known to do them. But again, I was so in my hurt and pain and frustration that I didn't think to do any of these things for myself or my sister or my mother. You know, like if even my brother who you know, I have issues with, I I could have recommended something for him because obviously he had pain too in that time. But I, I just feel like, wow, why didn't I think of that? You know, but it's because of all of that heightened frustration and pain and, and sorrow and everything. It's like, you just, you just can't think of the things. And so that's why having you there would be so beneficial. Yeah. And even creating 
even if I wasn't there, one of the things that we can do is create a plan for what to do after death. You know, there's a lot of things that can be done in that time span that isn't just sitting there feeling overwhelmed by emotions, because you're right, when we're in it, our brain is not always going to think of the things that we even know we should be doing, which is why planning ahead of time, having it written down, talking about it, thinking about it, makes it more likely that then we will be able to think of those things. And again, if you've not experienced somebody's death, the idea of, well, what's it going to be like after their death? You know, how long is it going to be? How am I going to feel? We're not going to know these things. So even planning for it ahead of time, if you don't really know what to plan for, that's going to be harder too. So that's where, again, death doulas, we kind of, this is, this is what we do is just help prepare people for what to expect. It's not always going to be the same. It's not always going to happen the same for every family, but at least we can help you be better prepared so that then you would have had those tools and you would have thought, okay, you know, Jill and I talked about it. You know, now that dad's gone, this is some of the things that I can do. You know, do we want to wash his body? Do we want to just sit? Do we want to pray? Like, do we want to do these things? Do I want to go off by myself and do some yoga? Like, what is it that I think I want to do? But you can't think of those things if you don't know to think about them. And so that's why planning ahead of time can be very helpful. Yeah. And what comes to mind for me is what I've recently discovered is what's called like somatic healing, where you're, you're moving your body in a way that feels intuitive for you just to get the energy moving. Like I've heard it described when, when an animal in the wild, like hits something, falls down, whatever, they get up and they shake it off, you know? Yep. But as humans, we don't do that. When something impacts us in a physical way, an emotional way, or a mental way, we don't shake it off. We just stuff it down. And I remember, so my parents' house is about 10 minutes from my house. And so every day when I would be leaving their house, wondering if he was going to die through the night while I was at my own house, that 10 minutes, I just would scream and ugly cry the whole way home. But what I needed to probably do was move my body because I really wasn't getting rid of anything. I was almost like heightening it, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Somatic healing. I mean, that's really, I think a lot of what I have learned to do on my own and shaking is actually one of the practices that I recommend to people. Um, I just did a grief workshop actually last week, and it was all about using your five senses to work through grief. And one of the practices is physically shaking your body, shake your hands, shake your arms, you know, kick your legs, like just really shaking to release that energy. Because you're right, animals do it. But we are taught not to when we're children, because again, well, what will grandma think? What will the neighbors think? You know, what will, what do your teachers think about you? And so we're taught to just sit and be well behaved and hold everything in. And it's really, really not healthy for us. So somatic healing is, yes, it's huge. It's, it was life changing for me to learn to listen to my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I really hope that the somatic healing starts like an upward trend and more people start hearing about it and practicing it and it becomes more mainstream because I think there is so much good that can come from 
taking part in somatic healing. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're just about to the end of our hour here. So we'll wrap things up. What would be your like number one tip or advice to families, um, either going through a devastating diagnosis, not knowing, you know, which way to navigate family dynamics or, you know, how to choose a funeral home or do we want to bury or have just, you know, cremation take place? Like what's your number one tip for families in just getting started with this whole process? Definitely educating yourself about all of the, you know, ins and outs of the person's diagnosis, the, you know, projected lifespan, what some of the different treatments will do. Um, when it comes to the funerals, I mean, yeah, they can be very difficult to plan ahead, but ideally plan it earlier rather than later. Um, it'll save you money if nothing else. And really reach out for help. There is death doulas. There's also other help that your, you know, local community probably has, you know, reach out to the library, ask local funeral homes, like, hey, who's out there that will help me navigate some of this stuff? The help's there. We just don't know it until we need it. And again, unfortunately, most of us are taught to not ask for help. Uh, but this is one time that we really should reach out to others to help us get through this experience. Yes, absolutely. So Jill, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this very sensitive and necessary topic. Can you give the listeners all of your contact information so they can find you online? Because I remember looking at your website and um, you even have like a end of life checklist that people can download um, to help themselves. And it's free on your website. So where can they find you online, whether it's your website or, you know, social media or whatnot? How do they get a hold of you? My business name is End of Life Clarity, because that's what I want to do is help bring clarity to the end of life for people. And that's my website. So it would just be, you know, endoflifeclarity.com. I am also on Facebook. I have uh, my Facebook business page, which is End of Life Clarity. I have a wonderful Facebook group that I run where people come in and we just have different conversations about all different topics about end of life. So people can reach me on any of the social medias. My handle's the same on everything. Uh, but don't hesitate to reach out to me, whether it's Facebook or an email. Again, you could go to my website and download. Um, there's a few different free resources that I have. You can even email me and I can send them to you. I'm really just happy to help people navigate this. And I do work with people in New Jersey locally, but virtually. Actually, most of my clients have been virtual, just supporting people in preparing for the realities of end of life. Great. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is, how do you help people that don't live in New Jersey? <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I do. Um, I do a lot of one-on-ones. Um, you know, we do them through Zoom. And I work with, again, people that are dying. I've worked with caregivers. I've worked with grief, all types of different areas um, and done all of it virtually. 
Wow, that's fantastic. All right, Jill. Well, thanks again so much for joining me today to talk about what it is you do as a death doula and how you help families navigate the whole death and dying process. I really have enjoyed having you on the show today. I appreciate you and the work you're doing so much. So thank you again, Jill. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. All right. All right, listeners. And I will talk to you again in the next episode. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. For more of my content, you can go to my website, barbaraseaman.com, and also my Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest pages. And remember, to get my content delivered right to your inbox, you can sign up for my emails by going to my website homepage. Now here's the legal stuff. This podcast is not intended to diagnose any medical problems or recommend any medical solutions. This show is presented merely for educational and entertainment purposes only. I'm just your friend chatting with other friends, so please seek help from a qualified health professional for all of your healthcare needs. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.